joyful we adore Thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before Thee, opening to the sun above. Thank you for joining us for this program from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the 9th Avenue Church of Christ. So we are in the middle of a series, three weeks in the series, called Questions Jesus Asked. Questions Jesus Asked. Have you, have you ever been asked a question that, that really taught you more of a lesson than any comment could have, could have made? That's kind of what he's doing in these moments. Jesus is having these conversations. He's in the middle of these moments. And he's asking questions that really are not meant to, to, to necessarily be responded to, I don't guess, as much as it is to really just make you think and to teach you a lesson. So take your Bibles, since we're not going to have them on the screen for sure, go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to jump into a passage in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, and I, and I kind of abbreviated it just so it fit on the slide, but basically he says, why don't you notice the log? Why don't you notice the log? And for many of you, you'll know exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. As we get into our, as we get into the lesson, as we get into where Jesus is today, we really have to kind of understand what he's trying to do. Jesus is in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount had a very specific purpose, right? The Sermon on the Mount had a very specific purpose. And you find that in Matthew chapter 5. So if you flip back, flip back a couple of verses or a couple of pages, You'll see, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's kind of the purpose statement of the Sermon on the Mount. He's telling these people that are standing around him, he said, you have to, have to, to be part of the kingdom, to get where we're all trying to go. You have got to be greater in your righteousness, in your godliness, in your right living through God, You've got to be greater than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And to those that were kind of standing around Jesus in that moment, they really had a hard time understanding that. Because to them, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they represented the upshalon of those who believed in God, those who followed the law. But as in anything, there were some flaws in their understanding. There were flaws in the way that they tried to address issues. There were flaws in kind of their mindset and, and their understanding. So you, you kind of have to understand maybe what, what were the Pharisees' focus, okay? Well, the Pharisees, they were a group of scholars and teachers, as he says here, Pharisees and teachers, and they believed that the law that God gave Moses was twofold. It was consisting of the written law, which we have copies of. It's the Torah, right? It's you find in the book of Leviticus, that's the old law. So they believe that it was made up of that, but also as equally important and as equally as binding was the oral traditions that came along with that. So it's not just this is the law, but it's how it had been taught for maybe generations after generations, and that they really believe that humans or, or the people should use reasoning and interpretation to figure out how to deal with what they would call contemporary issues that come from or dealt through an older document, right? And so they, 
they believed that the law was true. They believed that the law was real. They believed that it needed to be followed. You also had room for kind of these personal and individual kind of group interpretations of, I guess you could call them, as we call them, traditions within the law itself. And the problem and the issue with that, the challenge in that, is if I then, okay, so I've got the law, I've got the written law, and this is what's important, this is what God gave to Moses, this is what is, you know, literally written in stone, right? If you've got that, and then you've got some people coming in and saying, well, but this oral tradition and this oral tradition and this oral tradition, they need to be followed as well. The question becomes, who has the right or the authority to decide what oral tradition is binding and what oral tradition is not binding. And so there was this kind of a constant back and forth. And you see this a lot in Jesus' ministry. As you read through the Gospels, you see a lot of this in Jesus' ministry that he's combating not necessarily the law itself, but these oral traditions. As you go through the Sermon on the Mount, after he makes this statement in Matthew chapter 5, he goes on and he deals with these statements. He goes, you have heard it said, right? If you flip through the rest of that, that section right there to get to chapter 7, you're going to read a lot of you have heard it said. Jesus is dealing with oral traditions. He's dealing with the oral traditions and he's trying to put them back in the proper place and their proper focus in a lot of ways. Now, as you keep reading through Scripture, you're going to see this word Pharisee used a lot, but it's also going to be tied to this word hypocrite. How many of you know maybe what a hypocrite is? idea of a hypocrite is what? You say one thing, but you do a you do another. Now, the Bible does a really good job of taking common words and putting them into a biblical concept. So in the Greek culture that Jesus would have grown up in, in the Roman culture that Jesus grew up in, and that the Bible was written in, the word hypocrite was actually a word used to describe an actor or an actress in a play. It was someone who played a person for a period of time, and then when they left, they were someone totally different. So, in other words, a hypocrite is someone who acts like God is important in their life, but in reality, they're really only focused on, on their, their self, right? That's really not who they are, but they do their best to give out that particular kind of persona about themselves. When they take their mask off, they are not, you know, God followers in particular. So. All of that brings us up to where we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. So let's read our text together. If you've got your Bibles or your phones, use them, underline some things as we go, go through here. So he starts, and this, what we're going to read today, let's just, let's just understand as we really get into it that maybe out of the Sermon on the Mount, these next few words in particular of, of verse 1, as you look at it in your own Bibles, are maybe some of the most misused and misunderstood verses or words in all of Scripture. And so we try to unpack those and talk about those and bring some spiritual depth to them this morning. So he says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
All right, Jesus covers three things here. You can write these three things down in your Bible if you want to to kind of help you come back to this later. He talks about judgment, fault, and correction. Okay, judgment, fault, and correction. That's what we're going to kind of view this through today. So the first idea here, the first three words, do not, try that again, do not judge. How many times have you heard that or used that in your life in the way of trying to get someone to mind their own business? Do not, you can't judge me. Do not judge me. Okay. What is Jesus saying here? I, I believe that we need to understand that, that there is some, some things that we shouldn't do in this context but maybe also understand that there are some things that we should do in this context of discerning Scripture and discerning right from wrong, okay? And I think that's where the struggle is. Is there a difference in discerning good from bad, holy from unholy, and actual judging? And the answer to that question is yes, absolutely. So we're going to talk about kind of what the difference in those things are. But as you think about that word judge, when you say do not judge, understand that the idea of judge here is to make a decision based on one's action to either accept them or condemn them. In other words, you put yourself in the place of Jesus and you go, this man's a sinner. He's not worthy of the grace of God. That is essentially what Jesus is dealing with here. He's talking, especially these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, who have set themselves down in the judgment seat, if you will, and he's looked out. They're, they're looking out at society what, what was it that they said about Jesus in Luke chapter 15? This man eats with sinners. Who did they not put in the category of sinners? Themselves, right? They looked at themselves as holy. They looked at themselves as, as righteous, but then they looked at other people and they go, oh, no, 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 but you are not, you, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. You're a sinner. You're not worthy of dinner with Jesus, okay? Jesus is coming to you because maybe he, you know, they looked at him maybe as even a, a sinner to some degree. But the also, but when you think about the equivalent word, so that's the New Testament word. When you think about the equivalent word in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the word judge, it also carries the idea of to rule over as king, right? So you've got this idea that's kind of been created within the culture, the, the, the religious culture of people who are putting themselves as rulers of the law, rulers of the law, and they are deciding Who's right with God and who is not right with God? And Jesus commanded in this moment is that you do not have the right to look into someone's life and decide by their actions who receives God's grace and who doesn't. When we sit on that throne, we are telling God that I can do your job just as well as you can, if not, maybe better. Just saying we don't have that authority. We don't have the ability to look into someone's life, to look into someone's heart and decide whether or not their motives are right, pure, or just completely unholy. Even if someone is doing all the right things, we don't know. We, we don't have the ability to look at someone who may be doing all the right things and judge and say they're doing them for the right reason. Correct? Like well, we, we can't, we can't, we really don't know someone's motive. And he's saying, so you need to get out of that idea. And so there's a story in Scripture that I really think kind of plays into this that we see. So hold your, hold your mark right here. Go to John chapter 8. We're going to flip. We're going to use these two passages together this morning. So maybe put a bookmark in one and in the other. John chapter 8. 
starting in verse 2. When I think of the idea of judging, I think about the idea of people looking at or for other people's faults. Okay, They are looking at and looking or looking for faults in other people. And this is a story that I think really plays this out. So in John chapter 8, starting in verse 2, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? So what's going on at this moment? They were going around, more than likely, looking for someone's fault, looking for this woman, right? And they looked, and they grabbed her, and they drug her in the middle of a group, and then they are looking at her faults. So they were looking for someone's faults so that they could then look at someone's faults for the whole purpose of trying to catch Jesus in a fault. You see how the judging's going on here? It's, it's, it's just all over the place. It's all, it's all about looking and trying to find fault in other people. And then when you find it, you just stand there and look at it. You just stand there and you look at it. And they are, they are, I mean, I mean, just they drugged this woman's life. Was she doing something sinful? If she was truly caught in the act of adultery, was she doing something sinful? Yes. Did the law command that that act, does, does the old law command that if you're caught in that act, that you are to be stoned? Yes, absolutely. You know what else the old law said stoned for? Talking. Got all the parents' attention real quick right there. Like everybody perked up. Kids, watch out. Be glad we're not under the old law anymore, right? So what are they doing? They're looking and staring at someone else's problems. All right. Let's, let's talk about this idea with, with those thoughts in mind. Jesus is commanding us not to judge, right? Not to judge. But that doesn't mean we're off the hook of discerning right from wrong. And I think we struggle with that sometimes. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 notes, write that down or turn to it if you want to. First Thessalonians chapter 5, but very quickly it says, starting in verse 19, Paul's in his mode, as, and he does this a lot. As he wraps up a letter, he writes some quick statements. And I love his quick statements because they're great to teach, easy to preach a lot of times. Great points. He says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but take them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. So in that particular passage, Paul gives us a command that as we look at things in life, and he's talking about prophecies from a, from a spiritual gift perspective here, but I think there's an overarching idea that it is our job to look at things in our life and test them, test them. We are fortunate. We have the Word of God. We have a, a written scripture that did not exist when, when in, in its fullness, I guess. I mean, obviously these letters existed once they were written in the way that we have access to them, did not exist for many Christians for many, many years. But he's saying, look, there are going to be times in your life where you have to look at what's going on as a child of God, and you're going to have to make a discernment. You're going to have to decide, are these acts that maybe I'm involved in or, or that associated with people that are involved in, are they holy or are they unholy? And if they are unholy, if they are not good, what does Paul say? He says, reject every kind of evil. I love the way that the name uh, says that. It says to abstain from the appearance 
of evil. I, I love that. It, it gives even it gives an even more serious kind of idea that to not just reject it, but to abstain from even the appearance of something that may look unholy from the outside. Don't even don't even get close to it. Just just if you if you're from a distance and you see it, just just stay away from it. But there comes a time in our life that we're going to have to say, This is unholy. I can't be a part of that. And I think that's where the judging really, we really struggle sometimes, especially maybe from the outside the world looking into what we're doing. That yes, I may, I may get to a point where I look at Ron and I go, Ron, listen, man, I know that we've been doing this stuff together for a while, but this, this this is about me. This this walk that I'm trying to trying to live, I just feel like it's not beneficial for me to be involved in that, you know, anymore. What does Ron in the world hear a lot of times in that statement? You're what? You're judging me. But you're not judging, you're discerning. You're saying, I'm not condemning you in this moment. I'm just saying in my walk with God, I, I've, got to, I've got to move back in this direction. I've got to move in this direction. I think there are holy ways, loving ways, caring ways that we have those conversations that are not about looking at Ron and looking for his fault. Rather, I'm focused on maybe in my struggle, and I'm trying to make sure that I'm getting that where it needs to be in my own life. We don't have the ability to just ignore right from wrong, but we have to make a discernment based on what is best for me, not in a judgmental way for other people. Does that make sense? Are we on the same page there? We'll get through some more of that as we go on. All right, let's go back to Matthew chapter 7 and look at what he says after that. Do not judge, all right? Don't, don't, set, yourself, don't set yourself up on that seat. And obviously, just as if you have, if you have kids, you can give your kids a a great don't do this statement, and what are they usually going to turn around and do anyway? They're going to turn around and do it. So we do this as parents. Don't do this because it's going to happen, and this is what Jesus is going to tell them. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And he goes on, he says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what happens if you judge other people? Not only will you be judged, but you'll be judged at the same standard that you were holding other people to. Now, if we had our, if I had my stuff in here on the screen, what you would see be Roman scale, all right, a Roman scale, and it's very much, you know, the 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 emblem of blind justice in our country, where you've got this lady, she's holding, she's blindfolded, she's holding up a scale. It's one of those weight scales you put. Uh, you put what you say is maybe a pound on this side, and then you try to equal out the pound on the other side. And he's, this is the image that he's talking about here, the measure, all right? So he's giving them this idea that what is your standard? Is your standard judgment, or is your standard love and grace? And if you choose for your standard, if you deal with people through the standard of judgment, and you create the standards... Those same standards that you use, and he's, he's telling them, basically, your standards are heavy. What does is, what is Jesus say later on in the Scripture? He goes, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? I'm, I'm not putting more on you than you need. I'm not putting more on you than you have to have. You need to do what I'm asked, but my yoke is easy, my burden, my standard is not going to break you. So if you have this idea that you're the judge here, and your standard is greater than the standard of God, greater than the standard of God, which usually means your standard does not involve mercy, grace, and love, then he says when you stand before God, guess what 
guess what standard is going to be used to, to judge you? The same. Well, that's scary, isn't it? That's scary. That warning, that promise. But it doesn't have to be that way. That's the great thing. It doesn't have to be that way because he's telling you not to be a judger. So, so, so if we just do what he says, we don't have to worry about it. Now, I think this is an important question. How do I know if I am a judger? How do I know if I am a judger? Raise your hand if, if, if that's an important question to you. How, how do I know if I'm discerning versus judging? Well, there's a phrase that I heard this week as I was studying, and it came across, and I thought, oh, man, this is, this is good. I like this. He said, judges use I would never statements. I would never statements. I posted on Facebook yesterday, what are some things you said you would never do, but you ended up doing? I'm trying to find what was, what was my favorite. Where did it go? Oh, my favorite was Kelly Rushing. Have an inside dog. Now he's my favorite. And what I couldn't figure out is, is he the favorite of the dogs or the favorite of everybody in the house? Both? Oh, dog, dog. Okay, okay. I asked this in my, in my class, and I don't remember who was it. Who was it that said, Scott, was it you? You're the one that said, I never have an inside dog, and now the dog sleeps in the bed? That was you. Okay, but he's still in the bed with, he's in the bed with both of you, right? Okay, so um, how, many of you ever, how many of you are on that one? I will never have a dog inside, and now the dog is my body pillow. You know, that, that happens. Blair's was, I will never marry a preacher. That was, she'll never marry a preacher. Mine is, I told myself I would never tell my kids if you don't stop crying, I'm going to spank you because that seemed very redundant with, until I had kids. And then I realized that the crying that's going on is not real crying, right? It, it's, it's fake crying. And if it gets on my nerves and if you don't stop it, I'm going to spank you, right? Give you some, my dad would say, if you don't quit crying, I'm going to give you what? Something to cry about. I said, I'd never say that. I'd never say that. And then I had kids and that all changed. We all have these things in our life that we say, I will never. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, those turn into judgment statements. My life would never get in that situation because I would never fill in the blank. Well, they are in that situation because they did such and such. I would have never done that. And when we move into that realm of the I would nevers, the I would nevers, we put ourselves in a place of judgment. We put ourselves saying, I'm better than what you've done. When the truth is, people can look at my life and go, I never do that the way he's doing it or the way he's done it. I mean, it can be said both ways. But then one of the things that I also think we have to realize is if we're not careful, our I will nevers really are just, I haven't yet sometimes. Sometimes people are in situations and make decisions because their life is in a challenging place. And yes, maybe you've never made the decisions that they've made, but maybe also you've never dealt with the challenges that they've dealt with in life that have led them down the road that, yes, they chose, but yet it doesn't put you in a place to really understand their heart and where they are in life. And so we have to be careful that we don't start, when we start having these I would never or you should do this statements, or I would do this if I were you. You know, you've got to be careful because you are entering into a place of judgment. 
So keep those things in mind. Those are easy. Those are easy things to remember, right? Because I think we're guilty of all doing them. I would now. I would. I don't understand why they're in that situation. I'd have never done that. Well, you're right. You might have never done that. But then again, you might have. You just haven't had the opportunity to make that mistake yet. The, the I have nevers tend to come back and knock on our doors in life if we're not careful. All right, we're running out of time. Let's keep going. That's just the first point. Like we've got five minutes left, and I've got two more points to go. Y'all, y'all settled in. Y'all good. When Collins raises her hand, I'll quit. That's my, that's my sign. All right. Second thing he talks about is fault. Second thing he talks about is fault. Go to verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? We, we, we've all heard passages or stories, texts about this all the time. This, this goes back to discernment. Discernment is about inward self-judging, right? For lack of better words, inward self working through things. Judging is about outside. So he's saying, why do you look at or why do you judge the speck and pay no attention or not discern the plank in your own eye? All right? You, you don't discern the plank in your own eye. And I love this illustration because when you look up this word plank, this is a carpentry word, all right? It's, it's as if Jesus is pulling back into his life as a carpenter and, and maybe even thinking about a moment. So what I want you to do is I want you to look up at the ceiling, okay? Everybody look up, everybody look up at the ceiling. I can tell if you're not looking. Look up at the ceiling. What's up in the ceiling? Big what? Planks. That's what this word means. We're not talking about a little two by four here, okay? We're talking about the center plank in a house that carries the weight of the rest of the house. We're talking about a big piece of wood here. And this is what I imagine, this is just me, this is commentary right here, right? This is Matthew trying to get into the text. What I imagine is Jesus thinking back to maybe a moment as a carpenter where someone's got something in their eye, and then maybe someone's carrying one of these big planks, and they go, oh, let me help you. And they don't put the plank down, and they're trying to hold this plank and get something out of the other person's eye. And what's going to happen in that situation? Who's going to get hurt? Everybody, right? You're, you're going to drop it. You're going to hit somebody. I tried every way in the world to think about how to get a big plank up here, but I can't even get my slides in the, the program this morning. So that just didn't work. But he said, I just, that's the imagery. Like, I, I just, I kind of feel like this is Jesus reaching back into his experience and pulling it in to where they are. And as I thought about that this week, I thought about this. It's impossible to stretch out your arm far enough to reach someone else's sin while ignoring your own. Listen to that again. It's impossible to stretch out your arm far enough to reach someone else's sin while ignoring your own. The thought there is, if you're carrying this plank, you're never able to really reach that other person's face and effectively do anything other than bring more harm because you're dragging your sin into the problem, your sin into the issue as well. Now, the great thing is, Jesus' arm is great enough to reach past our sin and everybody else's sin and heal all of us of our sin. But to be the judge is to not put that down, is, is, to not, is, is to not care that I'm carrying. It's even to be aware of it and not care sometimes. 
I mean, if you're carrying a, if you're carrying one of these beams around the church building, you're aware of it, right? You're just choosing to ignore it. Go back to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We pick up in verse 7. He straightened up and he said, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, let's deal with your log first. Did he say, don't throw a stone at her? No, he didn't say, hey, none of you can do that. The law is the law. What did he say? If you don't have any sin in your life that needs to be tackled, some of you may even have sin in your life that is punishable by death. There's eight or nine things in the Old Covenant that are punishable by, by death. I wonder if any of those guys thought, oh, well, I could be in the same situation here. He said, deal with your own thing. Let any of you who is without sin, go ahead and do it. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. I, I see them discerning, discerning their own life. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Let's very quickly talk about this idea of correction. Verse 5, you hypocrite, back in Matthew 7. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Here's some things that I see here as he's dealing with this. Number one, deal with your sin. Deal with your sin. We need to be living a life of discernment that as we are living, we look inward, we hold things up to Scripture, we, and when we realize that there is sin in our life, we stop and we address it. We get the plank out. We put the plank down and we keep on going. Our sin is sin. Okay, so we deal with it on a very personal level. Then we go and what? We go and remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, as we've been talking about, the idea of judgment is the idea of looking. It's the idea of going and looking for people's faults and standing and looking at people's faults. Does he say stand here? Does he say, stand and tell your brother how to get the, the speck out of their eye? No, what does he say? He says, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's, it's an action. To me, it's the idea of helpful action. Now that I can see clearly, now that I've dealt with what I need to deal with, I can then come to you and be helpful in removing this out of your eye. And I, and I think that we all understand that idea of something in our eye. Most of the time, if you're not alone, especially, if you get something in your eye, usually go to someone and say what? Hey, do you see something in my eye? It's really hard when your eyes, all, uh, you got something in your eye and it's hurting. It's hard to stand in the mirror and like start looking around in your own eye because some maybe can, but like if I make this eye go up, this eye goes up. Like if I, like it's, it's just a hard thing that you need help getting things out of your eye most of the time. It's a helpful relationship. I'm going to discern the things in my life. And I think it's interesting that he, he kind of gives this, this impression here that maybe some sin is another sin. And he's saying, if you're carrying around this big sin in your life, you have no way to help little sin. Don't, don't be a judge. Don't, don't, don't try to make theirs bigger in your own view so that your sin seems less. No, don't, don't, don't do that. But he says, once you discern, once you take these things out of your own eye, or once you let go of your own plank, then be helpful. Not, I would never. Not, I would do it this way. It turns into, hey, let's try this together. Maybe we should do this. You know, it, it's not, a, I'm going to stand back here and just tell you what to do. 
It's, I'm going to roll my sleeves up. Like we talked about last week, we're getting in the boat with other people. And we're helping them in their challenge. And we're helping them in their struggle. All right. We all on the same page? That was a lot this morning. We tried to cover it as quick as we could. But I think that this is a passage. I think this is a passage that we all struggle with at times from, from both sides. I think that there are times that we struggle with the idea of carrying our planks around. And then I think there we also struggle from ha- being the people that have the speck in our eye and then being judged. That those people come up carrying the planks, start trying to help us, and they're slapping us in the face. And we're like, will you stop? Leave me alone. And then we want to be judgmental back to them, right? With the, oh, I'd never do that. I'd never carry my plank around like that. We have to be careful because we're all guilty of this at times. And when we are guilty of this, let's make it a practice to be discerning, spend time in prayer, and then remember our call is to carry each other's burdens. And that's a helpful thing for us to do. Let's close with a word of prayer, and the lesson will be yours. God, we thank you so much for the chance to just be in your presence this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to just be loved by you and to know that you are the holy and righteous judge and that when we are judged, God, we're going to be judged through your grace and mercy. But help us to always put ourselves in a position to where our standard of how we deal with other people is the same standard that you give us, a standard of love, mercy, and grace. Does it mean that sin is not sin? Does it mean that we're not called to live holy? But help us to not be haughty in our holiness, God. We thank you for our time together. We pray that we're convicted by your word and your spirit this morning. May we always live a life that is is just in the shadow of the cross all the time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus.